Peter Radio presents the legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast with me, Adam Wybray, my co-host, Tom May. End of Series 1. 1981 to 1984. So here we are at the end of Series 1, hoovering up the fragments of all that's come before. We missed a few things here and there, Um, not least the fact that I played a live version of One for the Pearl Moon back in review episode 3. Tom picked me up on that, which is fair because the original's great. So, without further ado, is the original One for the Pearl Moon from Kleiner Krieg.
Hi Tom. Hello Adam. Thank you for joining me for this recap episode of series one of the Legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast. So yeah, I think this is a sensible point to um, kind of take a breather. Um, we're going to regroup and come back probably in the new year, I imagine. Um, yeah. And I think I think uh, a lot of a lot of the original founding members sort of left around this time. April White, who we've got an interview with coming up at the end of the show, left just after the release of Faces in the Fire and The Tower. Um, and I think with The Tower, we've got this sort of shift to a new mythology and uh, a shift to lo- longer concept albums, basically, and concepts that then span multiple albums. So these, these kind of paired concept albums like The Tower and Island of Jewels, uh, or Shadow Weaver and Malachi. Yeah, much later on those ones. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, this seems like a sensible, a sensible place to take stock. But uh, yeah, I, I gather you've been doing some data analysis. Uh, yes. Uh, so should we start with that? Yeah, yeah. Please, I'm I'm interested to hear your results. So, um, and the ca- some caveats are I'm I'm just counting every single track when it appears so for example voices you know would be counted three or four times etc rather than just once so this is like the maximum really Uh, (laughs) so i think i I put forward the hypothesis uh, that there would be like far more minor key tracks by the legendary pink dots than major key um adam what would be your like prediction for the percentage the duration of the dots 1981 to 84 music we've covered so far that is major key oh my gosh um yeah uh, okay so i guess i would guess i would guess around hmm it's tricky right because that while they have this mordant melancholy tone often they do have this sort of ironic you know jaunty music combined with kind of bleak lyrics but yeah. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess forty percent to major key. Let me just double check this calculation. Actually, I need to work this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so forty, did you? Yeah, yeah, forty is gonna be my guess. Actually, forty-five point zero five percent. Okay, I wasn't that. Was, yeah, I'm fairly pleased with that. As I, mean, a guess. I probably would have said a third at, at most, really, before. Um, so that's. That's surprisingly high, I would say. So yeah, forty-five and then fifty-five minor key. 
Um, also, notably, the minor key ones, uh, 99 tracks out of 193, but they tend to be sort of longer tracks, so that, that percentage is sort of higher, you know, it's 55%. These minor key ones are uh, faster, um, with a mean average BPM of 108 to just under 98 for the major key uh, 94 tracks, um, which is quite quite a difference, 10 there. Yeah, that, is, that is quite interesting, and not necessarily what I'd expect. I think you might sort of assume that the minor key tracks are going to be kind of slower and more yeah, reflective. Yeah, not, not at all. Um, and three of the 11 albums um, have a majority of time with major key tracks. Can you guess the highest at 62% major key, Adam? I mean, surely Faces in the Fire. No. Um, really? Let me just check that one. That one... No, that one's only 26% major key, 74% See, that's really minor. funny, because I think of Faces in the Fire as, as having this sort of manic kind of energy to it, but I guess that's more the tempo than the key. Yeah, um, the tempo's 111, the tempo for that one. Yeah, that is above average. Oh my gosh, okay. Um... Which one do you think it is? Uh, curse, maybe? It's actually uh, Chemical Play School 1 and 2. No way, really? That really surprises me. I wasn't thinking of the Chemical Play School releases because they tend to have those long soundscapes. Yes, yeah, so 62%, yeah, major key. That one. Um, in, in terms of the, the time as well, that one. Yeah. Um, notably, one album does strongly follow my initial expectation though which actually has 98 percent minor key uh which one do you think that one is i would uh, okay i'm gonna guess basilisk uh yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's interesting because basilisk is probably probably my favorite of these early releases mm. as of thinking about the ones that really stood out to me and Basilisk feels like a really complete piece to me. It's interesting, it was actually sketches towards a kind of uncompleted concept album, but yeah. all the same, like, um, it really coheres tonally uh, to me. So that that may, makes sense, that it has that consistent use of minor key. It's also, uh, curiously um, enough, the fastest one so far in terms of BPMs just a bit faster than Faces in the Fire, 113.6 as well, interestingly. So that, yeah, that that fits the, the sort of minor key, yet fast paradigm for the dots. Yeah, I think I probably like Basilisk partly because it's not that soundscapey, And I do mm. really like the dots soundscapes, but later I think that Phil Knight gets better at making more involved, more interesting soundscapes, like more kind of, sonically interesting more texture um yeah maybe, maybe you know some of them i find yeah. a bit too sparse these these early mm. ones um yeah basilisk doesn't have so much of that and i'd say my other favorite is probably faces in the fire mm. yeah. um just because thematically it's so on point and it's a very vivid ep i think it's also refreshing to have this kind of shorter release because the dots will sometimes be pushing that kind of two, two and a half hour mark uh, and it, it can get a bit much, whereas yeah. Face in the Fire is really wham, bam. Apparition too, that's that's a really short one, isn't it? I think both of those two are quite sort of refreshing um, to have mixed in with all the other ones. Yeah, and the ones I'd probably recommend to new listeners. Um, I mean, you know, it's not like I wouldn't recommend, there aren't any at this stage I wouldn't recommend, you know, that's the thing with the dots, they're really consistently bloody good. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I think in terms of an entry point, I do think Face in the Fire is a great entry point, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I would agree. So, without further ado, this is Sleezo from Faces in the Fire. Bye, bye, don't be shy. Thank you.
have stuff on uh, the musical keys um, and he was interested in hearing that a bit more so depth how, from how them. did he work that out presumably he didn't just do it uh... um using a site called TuneBat that's apparently quite accurate there'll be more accurate ones out there but i mean it's coming up with the same for say tracks like voices it's, it's showing the same every time for example okay. so that's well they're slightly slightly different bpms which is interesting <laughs> sometimes but um yeah so uh, the keys used by the dots are of great interest. I mean, they use all 24 keys uh, within their 1981 to 84 output, although some far more than others, uh, which I'm going to sort of talk about. Um, only one of the 193 tra- tracks is F sharp minor, which tends to evoke sort of gloomy lamentations. Yeah, and that's a sense of things being unresolved, right? Yeah. Um and that's um it's it it's um it it rots your liver is the track there.
E major occurs twice, so again, it's very rare, which uh, tends to be boisterous, quarrelsome, ready to fight type musical key. Unsurprisingly rare that, that you've got that very distinctive masculine temperament figuring so rarely. That's Isn't that surprising, actually, for the dots, that they don't use that much? I think that one's uh, Dying for the Emperor and Peace Crime 1, that are both on Kemmel Play School 1 and 2. And, and to give you a few very common ones, uh, C major is used 17 times in tracks in our first series or era, such as uh, Strychnine Chaser, Break Day, uh, Blasto, Hauptbahnhof. These are all sort of favourites of mine, all of these tracks. Stoned Obituary Part 1. Um, 834, the only major key track on Basilisk. Uh, the rest of them are all minor key. Um, this is the key of, of children, innocence, naivety, free of burden, full of imagination, which contrasts with the most. Well, yeah, I mean, I I probably I probably associate C major with folk music. Mm. I mean, I I don't you know this is me just talking off you know my my vague musical knowledge. But, um, you know, I definitely think of, I guess, yeah, guitar music. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I do think that it's easy to kind of overstate the electronic aspects of the dots. You know, I don't know, one thing that struck me um, talking by our email with April White is she was uh, rehousing um, her original piano that that she uh, composed and and um, played some of these these early tracks mm, on, yeah. and it hadn't even occurred to me that you know an actual piano would be in the mix. You know, I just immediately assumed it was all Casio keyboards and synthesizers, um, and yeah. yeah, I think yeah, even though you know the end result you know tends to be quite electronic with these early dots, you know, uh, maybe a bit of guitar or a bit of piano. Um, that doesn't mean that all these songs were devised electronically. And yeah, I do think, certainly with April's vocals, I do think there's this sort of folksy element there, actually. used 19 times is a bard minor no way i wouldn't have i wouldn't have expected that so it's sort of actually a bit like f sharp minor but taken a bit further in some ways uh grumbling lifelong struggles it tends to evoke um, a negative look at the experiences of life competition and growth basically difficult struggles that sense of what life's all about and i think um examples for this uh Soma Bath, the very first track uh, that we heard uh, on Only Dreaming, One for the Pearl Moon, Obsession, Ideal Home, uh, Caligula, which we played, uh, Surprise, Surprise. Um, it's interesting that I think, yeah, C major is very much the innocence, A bar minor, the experience to, to bring it all back to William Blake again. Mm. Um, it seems to fit very strongly, I think. These come up so many times. Yeah, that does make sense, like, reflecting that utopian, dystopian binary you have in the dots um, that kind of pull yeah. towards innocence and curiosity and then this sort of counter-pull towards experience and corruption and sort of souring of idealism. So sing! Sing while you may! Yeah, I've got one final thing which was um, some statistically average tracks, the ones that fit with the BPMs and the keys. Oh, okay. So, yeah, maybe we, we, we should play some of the, you know, like like if, if, if you want a generic taster of the early dots. Yeah. Uh, so for C major um, uh, and for sort of the major key type tempo as well, like there's one that's 98 BPM, C major, um, Defeated. 
crazy Kelly pulled the lines and read the lines and read the lines Skips across the page and sends a dizzy dozy Does she care, does she? And uh, for, for, for the A bar minor, um, probably Apocalypse Gone, um, which is 111 BPM, so like three above the, the, the average of 108. That was closer than Premonition 3, which was 100 BPM. So the other one I had noted down. But yeah, Apocalypse Gone, sort of the closest within the minor uh, key to being a statistically sort of average DOTS track in this first era anyway.
releases you know they've not I don't think they were really made to be reviewed in the traditional sense this is you know a sort of group of of friends collaborating together and putting out a lot of material right I mean something that came across in the interview with April and this really did remind me of the residents um, and their early stuff is that you know they'd sort of jam together or they'd be you know, sat in, you know, a room, you know, doing bits and bobs and, and you know, Edward or, or Phil would, would, would have it all recorded and then would go away and, and, and mess about with the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and that, 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 you know, really, these albums only kind of emerge from that, from from the uh, tape splicing. Mm. You know, it's almost like each album is a kind of, you know, mixed CD of sorts uh, of their own material, um, you know, configured and yeah. reconfigured. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily, I think, until they get to something like, um, you know, maybe Curse, but then definitely Facing the Fire, you know, when they're setting out, right, we're recording an album. Like those two, yeah. Those two, yeah. You Mark know, Basilisk is also like mm. that. Um, yeah. You know, with a lot of those early releases, I don't think they were intended originally as albums per se. It's just the music was then compiled and put together and edited and yeah. put out on a cassette. Um, you know, I got a sense of some, some tension maybe uh, between... April's approach to the music and the material and Edwards. Um, mm. You know, I get the sense sometimes, I don't know, I overstate this, but sometimes of Edward maybe in this early period as, maybe think a bit of Frank Zappa in the way that, you know, Zappa would have this kind of, he'd be part of it, but also overseeing that he has this slight distance and there's a bit of the kind of master of ceremonies. So, you know, while actually there are a lot of talented people, musicians working collaboratively, you know, it's then Zappa who was, you know, in charge of the tapes. He was the one who kind of edited and put it all together. And so it ends up being orchestrated under his vision, even though, you know, he didn't necessarily produce all of that music, you know. um, Sure. I get the sense... Of that, that sometimes, sometimes here, and that that Edward's lyrics, right, and vocals are very important, and maybe sometimes at risk of overwhelming the other contributors. Um, and you know, this is tricky, right? Because I really like Edward Carspell as a lyricist and a vocalist. Like, you know, I probably wouldn't be into the dots in the same way if it weren't. Yeah. I mean, the rest of it's uh, crucial as well, though. Yeah, and they, they all bring so much to it in different ways. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting kind of thinking about, because I think it's very easy to have these fixed ideas about what a band is and how a band works. I mean, this is why I find The Residence is a kind of comparison is really interesting, because, you know, now especially that Hardy Fox has died, 
you know, the only original resident is Homer Flynn. And, you know, mm. Homer never really composed that much of the music with the residents, you know, mm. but he, it was very much, he was the singing resident and his vocal preoccupations very much shaped the material and the residents have a lot of concept albums. So, you know, you think of the concepts like Mark of the Moles, you, you know, think of the Moles and the Chubs, etc., etc. Eskimo um, as well, that was, that's, that's a good album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's not, necessarily the Homer Flynn show, right? Um, and perhaps it's been easy, especially with the rise of social media, when, when say, Homer Flynn very much in charge of the residents' online presence mm. for, say, other contributors like, like Hardy Foxes to kind of be a bit more in the background. Um, yeah. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, Edward... I think can be, you know, he's something of an introvert, clearly, you know, he, he's, he's not someone who soaks up press attention, but he's also a very charismatic guy, and sort of a really interesting enigmatic guy, and I don't know, you know, I think it makes sense why the focus, you know, in our own writing, you know, I think we're as guilty of this, or have been, as, as any other, you know, any journalists writing on the dots to kind of over-focus on, on Edward, um, but you know that partly also comes from audience experience and where you're looking when you go and see a show, you know, when you you know watch a live video of a band, you know, and you know you're 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 perhaps focused on the front person and yeah, well, hopefully, yeah, the first series we've addressed that to some extent with highlighting April White's contribution far more. Uh, Michael Marshall wasn't it the guitarist and Patrick Patrick Q Wright's first appearance. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, are there any other tracks that you, uh, you know, I tried to send you a list. It's probably slightly partial, but a list of tracks that I'm sure we've Mm. played. Um, Yeah, I mean, mean, I'm mostly mostly buying this from Bandcamp. which is great, you know. I love supporting bands on Bandcamp, um, yeah. but the dots have a tendency, or Cast Bell possibly has a tendency, to like have it so you can download the whole side of a cassette release for these early albums. You know, so it'll be two tracks: side A, side B. Um, that doesn't yeah. make it so efficient for 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 my. It wasn't so easy for the stats. Yeah, I had to had to get the tracks from elsewhere. Having bought them on on Bandcamp with the uh, properly, <laughs> I bought out the whole dots output a few years ago, um, which is a good investment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, oh yeah, you said you played Lullaby for Charles's brother. Um, do you play? Um, did you play the um, the All Good Kittens Go to Heaven one? I mean, they definitely would have had at least a clip of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So other ones I've got noted down. Um, surprise, surprise, you probably played. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. That could be considered. Uh, Lisa's Party. It's really good uh, dark humour type track uh, or uh, Methods I think that one that one stood out just as a real interesting slightly more mainstream 80s oddity in, in the Dots work when I was listening again so yeah maybe one of those three oh. so Tom's request this is Methods So easy, you could drift it all 
Um, these questions um, in an email, you know, back in uh, July 2021 that Adam then forwarded to April. Um, I don't think um, that this ground has been previously covered in great depth, really, even in many Edward Carspell interviews that have been collated online. And I don't think April's take on things has ever really been published. So I was just really interested to hear how she would answer these questions. And with April's permission, my partner Antonia is uh, reading her answers. So how did you come to become involved with the legendary Pink Dots? I just happened to live in the squat where Phil later came to live. He and Ed have been friends for a while, I think. Both were journalists on local papers in the Ilford, North East London area. Think Ed was a sports reporter and Phil a sub-editor. I was the only one with any musical knowledge, and that very rudimentary, like grade four for piano when I gave up when I was 14. What are your memories of the band's genesis? A few friends, me, Ed and Phil included, went to the Stonehenge Free Festival in 1980 and there were many bands just playing at all hours of the night and day. Obviously, Stroppy Paul with Ed, who then bought a synthesizer. Can you tell the story of how the band came to get their name from a piano, and where the piano came from? Uh, the piano came from a friend, Tina Knapp. The piano had been her father's, and it needed a home, so I said yes. So at 21, I started playing again, having not really played since 14. Mick knows more about Tina's dad, and the dots on the piano which inspired the name. I never liked the name. Did you ever live in a squat, or visit a legendary Pink Dots members who did? Me and Phil lived in the squat, not lived together, and Ed had a flat in Newbury Park above a motorcycle shop. Did you appear as part of the band's first live gig, and... If so, what do you remember of this experience? I did. It was some folk club and I played an acoustic piano. I think we did Waiting for the Call, You and Me, and maybe Voices, and maybe something else, The Wedding maybe? Can't remember. The compere introduced us as the legendary Pink Dogs. What do you recall of working on specific albums? Uh, the tower more than anything, as we went to a recording studio in wet and cold Wales. Did Edward write all the lyrics that you sing? Yes. Always thought it didn't matter who was in the band, it was always about Ed's skilful lyrics. Which of your vocal appearances on LPD songs, on record or live, you know, did you enjoy the most? Um, 
Backwards vocals on Chemical Play School 3 and 4, I think. Can never remember the names of tracks, tapes, as very confusing even at the time. Oh, and the harmonies in You and Me. Not many harmonies in the dots, sadly, as I like harmonies. What is your impression of the band's worldview? Uh, how political an outlook would you say you all were? Would not like to say. I am more political now than I was then, I would say. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> and finally, um, if I could ask you, what sort of books, films, music, art and television were you all variously into at the time? Oh, God, all sorts. Ed was always worried he had inadvertently ripped off the theme to the Elephant Man in Film of the Book, I think it was called, which he sort of had, but it was never intentional. Not sure we had a TV at the squat. Thanks, April, for those really illuminating and generous answers. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to moving on to... I mean, we've got so many great albums ahead. Like, you know, we're going to be really spoiled for choices with the songs. Like, it's going to be increasingly hard to pick. I think, you know, it's just going to be, like, you know, begging people to just listen to the albums, frankly. Because, you know, especially as some of those albums, like, like The Tower... It's hard to take individual tracks. It works so well as a complete piece. Same with the Maria Dimension. Like, the Maria Dimension, there are standout tracks, but, you know, I think it's a real journey, that album. And Yeah. Indeed. I think I'd probably go go for Poppy Day, I would have thought, with, with The Tower, because that that's one that I heard quite early when listening to The Dots, and that's really stuck with me. Um, and I played it live yeah. when I saw them as well, uh, that one. I hope everyone's enjoyed enjoy especially especially anyone who hadn't heard the dots before and have come across this podcast you know that's really what we're aiming for you're you're, you're hooked in now and lost forever forever. (laughs) right yeah I think we can we can stop our recording There's definitely uh, more than enough material. We've spoken for nearly an hour there, and um, there's yeah, the tracks I hadn't yet played. There's the the statistics ones. I mean, you could have lots of clips for that that bit as well. I think that that would work quite well. Yeah, it's always really uh, well edited. Um, great stuff.
Right. Um, see you later then. Here's Adam. That's, yeah, back to the PhD. Yeah. Actually doing some writing um, the next day or two. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. So that's the end of series one of the Legendary Ping Dots Project podcast with me, Adam Wybray, and my co-host, Tom May. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the listen and delving into those early records of the Dots' past from 1981 to 1984. We'll be back probably in the uh, in the new year with The Tower. Uh, we've got the Maria Dimension, uh, Crushed Velvet Apocalypse. I've got dogs making all sorts of snorting and rustling noises behind me. Um, if I want to finish off now with a recent Dots release, um, from Edward Carspell and Patrick Wright himself revisiting some early Dots material. Um, this was a recent Bandcamp release for Bandcamp Friday. Um, Edward puts out some brilliant stuff for that. Uh, lots of uh, little curios and and oddities. And uh, this is from Plus Change. Um, it's a collaboration between Patrick Q. Wright and Edward Carspell. Uh, and it's a revisiting of material from the early to mid-80s. So it seemed appropriate to finish off with this wonderful reimagining of a Black Zone from the Tower. This is Black Zone.
The Legendary Pink Dots Project podcast was commissioned by Carl Neville for Repeater Radio. It is adapted from blog articles written by myself and Tom May for kittysneezes.com, hosted by Matt Keeley. Matthew and John Robinson have previously written for the Legendary Pink Dots Project blog, but any words used here are mine and Tom's own. All art is modified by myself, Adam Wybray, from work by the English visionary William Blake, long past copyright and in the public domain. Thanks go to The Dots, Edward Carspell and Phil Knight, but especially April White for her wonderful answers to Tom's interview questions and my partner Antonia Howard for her brilliant voicing of April's answers. Apart from those named and introduced, the Dots tracks used here were, well, they're short. They're shorter than 30 seconds, so you can work them out for yourselves and sing. Sing while you may, for it may be your last. <laughs>